Thank you so much for uh, praying for me and my family this week. Uh, my grandmother went to be with uh, Jesus uh, in the middle of the week, and uh, just could really feel your prayers and uh, your encouragement. Uh, thank you for texts and emails along the way. I'm actually pre I'm going to pre-apologize. I have a 12:40 flight, uh, and so I have gotten the uh, to uh, the viewing tonight and the funeral tomorrow. But luckily, I had the fastest driver I believe in all of Houston. Scott Evans is on my side. So my bags are packed, so we're going we're gonna to make it. Uh, so if you don't see me afterwards, uh, that's the reason why. Hope you're having a great season so far. This season, this Advent season, is all about anticipation. Anticipation is a great thing. You mark a date on a calendar and you say, okay, here it comes. We can't wait. For some, it's uh, the birth of a child. For some, it's that wedding that's on its way. The date is marked. Woohoo, finally. But, friend, I'm going to her wedding in a couple of weeks. She's been like counting down on Facebook for seemingly two years now. And we're all very excited that finally the date is here. Finally, finally. She was almost unfollowed because of this excitement. But there's anticipation. Some of you buy movie tickets in anticipation of the next great whatever movie that's coming out. Hunger Games, anyone seen the Hunger Games? Yeah, the next one. There's anticipation and there, it's there. And, and that's what this season's all about. And you, many of you love, love, love this season, right? I mean, some of you have, do you have the, the tree out at your house already? You bought the tree, hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care. Uh, what about lights on your house? Has that happened yet? Has anyone started, you started shopping? Yes. Has anyone finished shopping? You are done, done. We are all so very happy for you. Three in the room, right? Four in the room. Thank you, Amazon, for not forcing me to go to the mall. I went to Memorial City the other day. Wow, wow, wow. There was like 10 million people. I don't know how many people in Houston. They were all at Memorial City Mall the other day. And it wasn't even Black Friday. But we anticipate things. Some of you guys love it. Now, some of you are, are kind of like me. And the, this person, I did not post this, but someone posted this the other day. And I, I kind of feel the same way. For every Christmas song played. The name has been blocked out uh, to protect the innocent that's actually in this room right now. I know it's Kids Sunday. Kids, this is not true. It's actually a cat loses his life. Uh, so don't worry. No reindeers were harmed. Reindeers? Reindeer were harmed. I, I love Christmas for about two weeks. But the month, that just seems, I mean, we're in November, people. I mean, it's a long time, but some of you love it, and that's okay. This year... I have to tell you that we have some people on our staff that, I mean, they're just like, they've been thinking about Christmas since August, uh, which is mind-blowing to me. But this year, I have really uh, dedicated myself, and I'm saying, this is going to be the time that I'm going to really lean into Christmas. Now, not leaning into KSBJ playing Christmas every single day, music, but just leaning into the heart of Christmas. Now, we all know that the reason for the season is Jesus but I think God has something more for us this season, something even deeper than that. And, and our hope as, as a church is that we'll really lean into God's word this season. We have an iBook that's going to be available for you with a lot of creative stuff and, and readings and things. We're going to have devotionals that are going to be coming out uh, via email and via Facebook. Check those. The very first one that's going to be put out tomorrow is by, uh, by Dr. Kerry Mars, the uh, principal of Wilburn Elementary. 
So we're excited to just lean in to what God has for us this season. And my hope is that God will begin to churn something inside of our hearts, something powerful this season, something maybe unexpected this season. And to really think about it, we're in this, this season of hope. It's about anticipation of what's to come. Anticipation is a very important thing. For this young man, if he just would have anticipated the horse coming through, uh, he would have possibly rolled his window up and prevented that from happening. Anticipation is very, very important. Warren Buffett, amazing anticipation. He's made a few dollars anticipating on the stock market and different things. Uh, anticipating at work, that's very beneficial for you. If you know, can see things coming, you can do things in, in a timely manner, it's going to help you uh, further in work. In sports, coordination is huge, obviously, in sports, but if you can anticipate, if you know when something's coming before it comes, then it's very helpful. It's very helpful. Hold that for a sec. It, it helps a lot. <laughs> Whoa! I was supposed to drop that one, but I, I couldn't do it. Whoa, two! But if you see it coming, if you know a play's happening, and you can anticipate it coming, you can stop it, or, or you can do something, or you can be ready to catch the ball. It's so important to know something and to to, to anticipate things, and that's the really the, the season that we're in. And as we lean into Scripture this morning, we're going to be following the lectionary the next couple of weeks. And these are these are passages of Scripture that have been placed during the Christmas during the the whole church calendar. And this this day we're in Mark chapter 13. Now you're going to look at it, it's an odd chapter, and I knew, felt it an odd chapter all this week. But if you got your Bible, you're going to actually need your Bible a lot this morning. Mark chapter 13 and in this time of anticipation Jesus is anticipating something as well the the end is coming as we find it in Mark chapter 13 this is just moments before he's going to go to trial to the cross to everything that's happening if you turn over to, to 14 we're headed that way so this is the last moments Really, the last few times that he's going to get a chance to talk to his disciples. Now, I'm kind of feeling this a little bit. My son Noah is now seven. We went through this class uh, or this, this discipleship thing together as guys. It's called Stepping Up. And it was really about being intentional as men, as dads, and how we should be intentional in the, the time that we have with our kids and taking opportunities for life moments. So I really had that on my mind as I've tried to have intentional conversations or moments that I can teach him, you know, even as hey, how to, to, to put gas in the car or to, to cut the grass or just taking moments where you just say, okay, this is important. You need to know this in the future. Some of you, as I look in this crew right here, it is hard to believe that you are this old. And uh, potentially, and I know you, some of you are feeling that, that uh, I can't believe that you guys, some of you are just seemingly months away from graduation. And as I, as I think about conversations and things that as a church, but as a family, you know, we want to pour in to our kids. Important things that one day you're going to need to know. That you're going to face things in the next few years that are pivotal moments in your life. And I want so badly to say, this is coming. It's coming. And it's important. And if you, you got to be ready for this. Important decisions. And there's going to be times that your faith is going to be pressed and there are going to be things coming from left to right and we want you to see them ahead of time so you know when you get there, you'll know what to do. 
would love to just pour advice into you. Who to marry, who not to marry, where to go and what to do in life because the folks in this room have been in some of those decisions and we know how important the next few years are. And so Jesus is having that moment here in Mark 13. He's having the moment of there are things that are coming up for the disciples. And he's trying to, in one chapter, he's trying to pour things. This is coming. This is happening. In fact, eight times in this chapter, he's like, be alert. Be on your guard. Watch out. Here it comes. It's going to happen. It's go-. And so this, 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 this tone is set in Mark 13. And so we're going to look at a few things and, and see what God is teaching and telling his disciples. And maybe we can learn a few things as well. This is called the Little Apocalypse, this little chapter. And you'll see why in a second. If we pick it up in, in verse 14, this isn't on your screen, but we're, we're just going to pick it up. And here's some things that Jesus starts to say. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does, do, does not belong, let the reader understand. Well, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back for his cloak. How dreadful it will be for those who are pregnant during that time and nursing mothers. Pray that those, will, those things will take place in the winter because those days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never will be equaled again. So he's saying this, there's going to be a time coming where you're going to have to go. I mean, you're just going to have to run. And it, it thinks back, it t- takes us back to Exodus chapter 12. I don't know if you remember the story when God is freeing the people of God in Israel. They're in Egypt. They've been captives and slaves for 400 years to Pharaoh. And he is, he's just been a pile, he just has forced them into doing horrible things and being slaves for years and years and to do his work and just terrible conditions. So what does God do? He sends a savior, a Moses, to come and 10 plagues later, it took 10 plagues for finally Pharaoh to release the people of God. Now what happened on the 10th plague? God said, this is about to go down. This is about to happen. The worst plague imaginable. Uh, this angel of death is going to come. You better have the blood on the doorpost. Remember the story? And what did he say? Have your, basically, had have your shoes tied, folks. Have your running stick ready. Because when, it, when he says go, it's go time, baby. It's go. Don't wait for it. Don't even put yeast in the bread. We don't have time for that. Just go. Go, go, go. There's this urgency that's there. And that's what you sense here in Mark chapter 13. There's going to be a time, and it's coming. Go. Don't go back to the house for your your cloak. If you're pregnant, sorry, ladies, you're going to be running pregnant. If it's cold outside, I hope, hope it's not cold outside because you're going to be running. It's a go time. There's an urgency to this passage. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians when Paul is writing to the church, and he says this. As God's partners, we beg you, do not accept the gift of God's goodness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I have helped you. Indeed, the right time, it's now, folks. It is right now. It's happening. Today, not tomorrow, today is the day of salvation. Go, go, go. Salvation is here. Now, the house is on fire. Do you keep on watching Gilmore Girls to get out of the house? No. 
if the Capitol is bombing District 13, why did that girl go back for that cat, uh, Prim? Go down. It's time to go. If you saw Hunger Games, you know what I'm talking about. I have no idea why she went for that cat. It's time. The time is now. The day of salvation is here. Do not wait. Do not wait. There's an urgency there. The next thing he tells his disciples is this. If you go to Mark chapter 13, verses, verse 9 through 11, it says this. You must be on your guard. Here it is again. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what it to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So what is, what is Jesus telling his disciples? As, I'm about to go, but I need to tell you something. He doesn't pull any punches. There are going to be days you're going to be persecuted. There are going to be days that it's going to be tough. There are going to be days where you are pressed at all sides and people are trying to pressure you. They're trying to, to poke you. They're trying to get you to run away from your faith. There are going to be days where you're going to be tempted to deny Jesus. They're going to be tempted. If you don't say it with your words, you're going to say it with your actions. You're going to be tempted to do this because life, folks, is not easy. This world is a broken place. It's a hurtful and it's a sinful place, not just in the temptations that we have in life, but the trials that we have in life. There are things that we experience together that are that are painful. And Jesus is saying this, they're on their way. And if you're going through a great season right now, thank, thank, thank God for that time, but be ready. Be ready. Don't be blindsided. It's, it's coming. And Jesus wants to prepare his disciples. But there's good news. There's good news. Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what that word means. God is with us. You are not alone during this time. I hope that you hear that this morning. If you're going through temptation, if you're going through trials this morning, you are not alone. What does it say? When you're there, when you're being persecuted in that moment, the Spirit is with you. He will give you words to say. He will give you things. Lean into the Spirit. Lean into God during this time because you are not alone. God is with us. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's the beauty of the story, that God is with us through the good times and he's through it, with us through the hard times. He is with us when you feel like you are all alone and everyone else is going another direction. He is with you. He's with you. And he's going to use that time in your life what does it say? You're going to be witnesses to others. You're going to be a witness to others. When you're in the middle of the time where you're oppressed, where you're tempted, you're in the middle of the trials, folks, others are watching you. They are watching you. And that is the greatest opportunity for us to share the good news there. This is telling his disciples this. And we know this will come true. In chapters later, as we see it in Acts, it's fulfilled. So he's saying, be ready. Be ready. What else does he tell us? There's this odd story in 13. If, you, if you're keeping reading, we're just kind of skimming along different things he's trying to tell his disciples that are urgent. He said, now learn this from the fig tree. Has anybody ever seen a fig tree before? 
I, I, I had to Google it. I'm not going to lie. I had to Google what a fig tree. Here is an example. I'm going to throw that up there of a fig tree. That's a beautiful older fig tree. But he tells us in the middle of this urgency, in the middle of this story, he, he's talking about, about a fig tree. Now learn this from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Fig tree. What is Jesus talking about? Random fig tree reference here in Mark. Now, for us to, to get our heads wrapped around this, we have to kind of go back a step and really get our minds around Mark. Mark is this gospel where Jesus comes in and he announces the kingdom of God. It's here. This is a different way of living, a different way of life. It's the kingdom of God is, is present. It's right here. It's, it's right now. And this world is a broken world. We know that from the beginning. We know that there was a perfect place, this garden. And in the middle of the garden, brokenness entered in with our sin. And what happened after we sinned? There was nakedness. There was shame. Eventually, evil followed. Violence followed that. And this pattern where we're running out of the garden, we see Adam and Eve just running out of the garden in their shame and their guilt. But Mark announces the presence through, through Jesus. So this kingdom of God and this kingdom is different. The kingdom is totally different than, than the, the present kingdoms that the disciples see. And there's this tension that's all around. The kingdom that's the temple and this place of empires and power and authority. You see it in Mark uh, chapter 10 where the disciples, they come up. You remember the story? Mark chapter 10, James and John come up to Jesus and says, they basically say, hey, can you grant us something, a wish even, because you're a genie in a bottle, Jesus. Um, we have a wish for, we want something. And Jesus says, well, what is it? Well, we want to sit on your, where? Your right and your left in your, your kingdom. Because what are they thinking? They're thinking about power. They're thinking about in this world, we want to, to rule over. You know, we see people in charge. We see people with stuff and things. That's the, the, the authority in this kingdom. That's what, what a God looks like, what a Savior looks like in this kingdom. That's what we want. We want to sit. When you come into, ride into town and, and you take charge with, with your mighty self, we want to be there on your right and we want to be on your left because those are the, the seats of honor. And Jesus is like, you don't understand. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. Why? Look back, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. What does the kingdom look like to Jesus? Then he called the crowd together, and he said to come along. And, and with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, what does he need to do? Deny himself, not prop himself up, but deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, he will lose it, but whoever loses his life and the gospel will save it. So what is Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10? He says, you see other people and they lord power and authority over others. Not so with us. That's not the way this kingdom works. Now, that's not the way my, my world works. My world is full of what? It's full of grace. It's full of mercy. It's full of forgiveness. It's full of the last shall be first. I came to serve, not to be served. You don't quite get it 
yet this kingdom is coming, my kingdom is coming, and guess what? It's going to replace all of these other kingdoms that we have propped up in our world, that we've put up and placed above everything. Now back to the fig tree, back to the fig tree. Remember, Mark chapter 11, two chapters before, Jesus comes into town, a very odd story, very odd story. He sees a fig tree, and what does he do? He curses the fig tree, not curses at the fig tree, clarification for this two rows here, but he curses the fig tree. And he says, you will not produce any more fruits. What an odd thing to do. Like Jesus is talking to a tree, okay? You're not gonna produce any more fruit. But what if I told you that tree represented something so much more? The tree actually represents the temple, Israel, the kingdom that's been built up. It was like a a visual symbol of those things during that time. Let me give you an alternate example. If we were, this would be like, say in America, bald eagle. We, that's a symbol of who we are, right? If Jesus were to come into Washington, D.C. and see a bald eagle in a tree and basically said, you're going, I don't know how we would say this, uh, but he would say, just like the reindeer, I guess, you're going down, bald eagle. I'm serious, you're, you're done. You are done with, bald eagle. And he goes into Washington, D.C. Now he comes back out. And in Mark 11, what happens to that fig tree? They come back like a few, few verses later, and Peter's like, Master, look at, look at the tree. It's withered up and it's died. That tree that he just cursed a few verses before, this tree is now dead, okay? So if we came back out of Washington, D.C., and there was a bird on the ground, the bald eagle, we would all be very frightened for our country, okay? That's what's happening here. He basically said this, that tree will produce no more fruit. The temple that this way that it's not producing fruit. This life, this kingdoms, these empires that are built up, it's producing no fruit and it, it's done. Now, scary stuff here. Mark chapter 13, if you read this, go home and read it. It's apocalyptic literature. What I mean by that, it's coming, things that are coming. Things that are coming. What's coming here in Mark chapter 13? He says, you don't know what's gonna happen, but you're gonna, remember, you're gonna be running. You're gonna be running. What's going to happen is this. Rome is going to get tired of this, this Jewish people and this people that are trying to rebel and, and go against Rome. So what happens? They've had enough of it. And they come into town and they wipe the temple out. In 70 AD, the temple goes down. And this empire and things that were built up is gone. And Jesus foretold that to happen. In Mark chapter 13, and he's telling his disciples, these things that we build up, these things that are so important, they're going down. They're going down. There's only one kingdom. There's the kingdom of God. And that kingdom produces fruit in this world. Heavy stuff here in Mark chapter 13. Heavy, heavy stuff. There's something else he wants to teach his disciples. It's just in this last section. It's about staying awake. Hopefully you've stayed awake because the best part is is this right here. Mark chapter 13, he talks about staying awake. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on your guard, be alert. Do do you not know, you don't know when the time is gonna come. It's like a man going away, he leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge each with his assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, 
whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Don't fall asleep. Very clear. Don't fall asleep. When could he come? At when? Evening, midnight, rooster crows, or dawn. Don't fall asleep. Watch. Confessionally, I had a problem in college with falling asleep. It was, it was I, I, I could not stay awake. At 7.30, systematic theology in, in school, I found the biggest person that I could find, oftentimes, just in case I did fall asleep in class. And then, of course, you wake up and your friends in that class are inevitably pointing their fingers, laughing at you in the sleeping moment. Other friends would fall asleep as well. It was a, I don't know, epidemic in college. And some would fall asleep with their mouth open. And so the whole time of class, what do you do? You take paper and you try to make it. Now, my, my, my favorite sleeping story in college is my buddy Mark. Nashville First Church, very prim and proper church, large church, choir, about uh, 100, 100, 200 people in the choir. I don't remember. But right in the middle of choir is my buddy Mark. And, I mean, you can see uh, pastors preaching here, suit, tie, very, that atmosphere. And Mark is, like, you can just see his, his face right above the pastor's face. And he is doing one of these. I mean, because remember back in the day, the choir would sit behind uh, the, in the service the whole time. And he would do the head dip. You've done the head. Some people, they're just prone to go backwards. Some people are prone to go forwards. It's just, it's in the DNA, I think. Uh, and he's just, and he'd catch himself. And at one point, you see him do this. And before long, this continues, and this was not a short sermon, okay? And so he's just doing, I start to look around. As his head goes down, everybody's just watching. He's like, and it becomes, no one is paying attention to Dr. Gary Allen Henneke that day, all right? And there he is just falling asleep. Whoo! And to, to this day, he denies falling asleep. But there are about 1,200 other people that were there that are witnesses, but he's telling the disciples, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Now let's turn over, if you have your Bible with us, what happens in the next chapter? The very next chapter, I mean, the next chapter, people, Jesus meets with his disciples. He says, there's going to be a time you're going you're gonna to deny me. Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to run away. Every one of you is going to run away. No way. We would die with you. We would die with you. What happens? The end of the chapter, Jesus goes to the garden. Remember? Goes to the garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying. What is he praying? He's praying that, uh, that the Lord would help him during this time as he's getting ready to go to the cross. What does he tell his disciples? Right before he goes in to pray, he brings his, his favorite three, Peter, James, and John. Keep watch. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. Trials and temptations are coming. They're on their way. What happens? Jesus goes to pray. He's praying so hard that blood is, is coming from his pores. That's how intense it is. He goes back. What happens? They're asleep. They're asleep. When does Jesus pray? The four hours of the night. They're asleep. They're there. And then... Finally, Jesus is done praying, and then some odd verses come our way. 
starting with verse uh, 50. When the, the chaos comes, when the mob comes, guess what happens? Predicted, comes true, everyone takes off on Jesus. Even though he told them it's going to happen, anticipate this, this is coming. Trials and temptations are coming, it's going to go down. And what happens? Everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, strange verse, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. The naked man. The naked man. Now, how many of you had no clue that that was in Scripture? You can just shake your head like this. There's a naked man running through the garden. Now, there's different theories on who this person is because no one knows for sure. Some say it's Mark, the writer. Some say it's someone else. But some believe, and I, 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 I like this, that it's a literary device, and the naked man, it's you. And the naked man is me. Because we're in the garden. We've been exposed. We are naked, we are guilty, and we are running because we are in the midst of our sin. We are the naked man. Now, there's, there's good news here. There's good news. Flip over. Jesus is arrested. He's tried. He's crucified. What happens in 16? What happens in 16? The women, they go to the tomb. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up in verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, Jesus, just after sunrise, the ladies were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, who did they see? They saw a young man. A young man. There was a young man in the garden. Scholars believe, same young man. And what is he? Is he naked? And frightening the ladies? No. He's wearing clothes. What is he wearing? Dressed in what? A white robe. You want to hear something really cool? Mark is the only gospel that doesn't place Jesus' clothes in the burial tomb. So the other gospels, you know, they're by his the side in the, in the tomb. Scholars believe, remember the, the naked man? He's now wearing the burial clothes of Jesus. And where is he sitting? Where is he sitting in the tomb? The right side. Remember James and John? I want to sit on your right. I want to sit on your, your left. The places of importance. Redemption. Redemption, folks. I don't know about you, but I've blown it before. I've, I, I've, I've been there. I've been the naked guy, exposed, guilty in my shame. And even though I knew that it was coming, even though I knew that temptation was coming, even though I knew the trials were happening in life, I still, I still did the thing that I knew was coming anyway. But our God is a God of redemption. Our God is a God of restoration. 
The story is much different because our God is a God of grace. From the very beginning, he's been working to bring us back together with him. And even though we were running, even though that we ignored him, even though we didn't do what we knew was right, and we fell asleep in the times that he told us were coming, guess what? We're the ones that are wearing white robes. Revelation chapter 7, who's singing in the end, who's waving palm branches, those who've been restored, those who have been redeemed, and guess what they're wearing? They're wearing white robes. They're wearing white robes. The worship band's coming. I got one more story for you to think about today. I think it fits in with, with, with what we're talking about and this urgency in this time, and it's one that you, you might have heard before. It said that Satan once called his demons, and he said he wanted to send one of them to earth to aid women and men in the ruining of their souls. Satan is trying to ruin the souls of men. And he asked them which one would want to go. And if one, one creature came and, and forward and said, I will go, I will tell the children of men that there is no heaven. That's what I'll do when I get to, to earth. And Satan said, they will not believe you for there is a bit of heaven in every human heart. And in the end, everyone knows the right and good must have the victory. You may not go to earth, Satan said. Then another one came forward darker and fouler than the first. And Satan said, if I send you, what will you tell the children of men? And he said, I will tell them there is no hell. There is no hell. Satan looked at him and he said, oh no, they will not believe you. For in every human heart, there's a thing called a conscience and an inner voice which testifies to the truth that not only will good be triumphant, but that evil will be defeated. You may not go. Then one last creature came forward, this from the darkest place of all. And Satan said to him, if I send you, what will you say to the women and men to aid them in the destruction of their souls? He said, I will tell them that there is no hurry. There is no hurry. Satan said, go at once. This morning as we go to prayer, there is an urgency, folks. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's today. And I don't know what you've been waiting for. The house is on fire. And you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We need his grace. We need his mercy. And I don't know what temptations you're facing or what things that you have done that you are ashamed of. Forgiveness is here in this place today. He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. This morning, if you need to pray, if you need to pray, these altars are open. Your seats are open. Whatever you need to do this morning, maybe you need to pray for forgiveness. Maybe you need to pray for strength. Maybe in the midst of the trials of your life, you need to be reminded today that he is with you. He is Emmanuel. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to begin anew today. Let's pray. God, Jesus, I pray that you would, Lord, come to us today. Lord, I pray that you, hearts would be obedient, Lord, as we've heard your word this morning, God. Jesus, I pray that as we worship, as we sing, and as we spend time with you in prayer, God, that you, God, would do things that only you can do. You are God, and we are so grateful for you this morning. Thank you for your grace, God, the one that clothes us, 
Lord, the one that forgives us, the one that helps us, Lord. God, I pray that you would meet us as we sing and as we pray in your name. Amen. Worship band's going to lead us as they do. Respond as the Lord is leading you this morning.